0: I'm going to start this morning with a little bit of visual. And I don't have all the things to do it the way I saw it, but I'm going to do the best I, I can. And there was a professor and he stood in front of his class. I'm assuming it was a philosophy class. And he took out a container, kind of looked like this. And, and he put some golf balls in it. And he said, is this thing full? And it was full of golf balls. and Everybody said, yeah, it, it's full. And then he took some rocks and, and yet the rocks kind of filled in some of the spot. And he goes, what about now? Is it full? And they said, yeah, it's still full. And then he took some sand, real fine sand, and, and it still held all the sand. And he says, is it full? And they all said, yeah. So then he pulls out a, a beer, opens it up. Now you can see why I didn't bring all the, <laughs> the... Although I was thinking about doing that and saying, do I have a volunteer? And a lot of you guys would like... <laughs> and then we'd know. Um, and he pours this beer over the top. He doesn't say anything else. He just pours it in there. And he says, guys, he says the golf balls are these really important things, right? And some of them take up space, but they fit in there. And he goes, and then and then, the, the, the little rocks, they're, they're the things that are pretty important, but not the big stuff. You know, these are our jobs and, and other things. And the sand is just the, the little stuff in between. And he goes, and if you put it in the wrong order, there isn't room for the really important stuff. If you fill it with sand and rock, there's no room for the golf balls. He says, it's really important how you prioritize. And I love that. I thought that was a great analogy, but then someone said after the whole thing was done, he said, "Professor, what about the beer?" And he goes, "Oh, there's always time for fun." <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think are the important things? Shout, shout it out. What would be the golf ball that would that would? Wow. We, God, yeah, yeah, family, mm-hmm. family, yeah, stuff like that, yeah. You know, and and and. Sometimes the, the, some of the big important things, and maybe some of these are the smaller rocks, but they're fulfilling our roles for the purpose in our life. These are important things. You know, we're here for a purpose, and we have a, a general purpose that all of us have, and then we have our specific purpose that God's equipped us for. And as we get into Mother and Father's Day, we'll kind of talk about maybe the important roles of, of mothers and fathers. But I'll tell you, this has been a busy period for me, not complaining, but if I look back on since Lent started accounting, I was like, in the six weeks leading up, you know, there were 10 Bible studies, 11 podcasts, eight worship services, and then I have a day job on top of all this. And I'm blessed because every single aspect of this busyness, whether it was a big item or a small item, had me focusing on God. I'm blessed because as I'm doing this stuff, it's all focusing me on God, and I love it. And so I, I, I hate to complain about how busy I am because I'm really blessed. But even though that is true, sometimes the most powerful motivator for me to slow the busyness of my life is to actually be with God. Think about it for yourself. Slow the business busyness of your life and just be with God. And the important thing about this life is this concept called quorum deo. And this is Latin, of course, because it makes it sound fancy and philosophical. But, and it means living in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the honor and glory of God. Now, I would say that The first half, two-fourths of that are pretty easy. God is everywhere. So surely you're always in his presence. And God is all-powerful, so surely you're always under his authority. But let's not take that for granted. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. Now, we all have the same calling, and that's to glorify God in everything we do. And this is why we are here. Scripture says God created us for his glory. And instructs us to do everything for the glory of God. And never in the history of mankind has there ever been a more personal life and direct presence with the Lord literally than in the Garden of Eden. When God created man and woman, they lived in the Garden and had real in-person interaction with him. They walked with him. They talked with him. Imagine that. The most beautiful thing in creation, right? This, no matter how beautiful it is around here, it doesn't compare to this Garden of Eden, Okay? And you get to be there with him. And we know what happened. But let's look at, look at that. From Genesis 3.8, it says, They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves because they had done wrong. They had sinned. But he was there with them. But sin and shame created the separation. And ever since the fall, we have been working to get back to that place with him. From Isaiah 59.2, it says, But your iniquities, you know, our, our frailties, our sins, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Friends, don't despair. The hope will be realized in heaven. That wonderful, beautiful place we want to get back in his direct presence waits for us. And this hope is made possible by the gift of the cross. That's the way Scripture says, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And this morning, we're gonna dive a little deeper into this big idea and see what Scripture says about why we should live this way and how we should accomplish this philosophy of quorum Deo, living in God's presence. So we should want to live this way because we are his children and we should desire to have a close relationship with our father. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And last week we read from Ephesians 1.5 that says, In love he predestined us, he predestined you for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus. And this is in accordance with his pleasure and will. He wants this with you. And I explained the original word used for adoption here was a full, a term, a legal term in Roman times meant the full legal and authority as an heir. Not only are you adopted, which means you are deliberately chosen, you were adopted to be a son or daughter, but you are also his heir, his heir. And we should want to live Cormdale because his love is empowering. Jesus tells us the night of his betrayal, he says, he is the vine and we are the branches. If we remain in him, if we stay connected to him and he with us, we will bear much fruit because apart from him, we can do nothing. Living in God's presence is empowering. He works through us. And we've talked about that already this morning. And we should want this because we should desire to be with him forever. You know, our thoughts should echo those of the psalmist in 27.4. He says, one thing I have asked the Lord that I shall seek He says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Friends, heaven isn't just a place that's up there. Heaven is wherever God is. And that's what this psalmist is writing. And we should feel the same way. That's what I want. I seek this, to be with God wherever that is for all of my days. And he wants to be with us back too. In fact, we were bought at a price. You know, that's what he says. That's the price of the cross. That's the price that was bought so that we can have that relationship, that hope with him. And living in his presence, living this quorum deo life, provides guidance and leads us to things like peace and joy. Again, it's the psalmist who writes, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. In Exodus, when, when his Israelites are, are wandering the wilderness, not knowing when you know, they're going to get to wherever they're going, he promises them, he says, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Aren't there times in your life when all you want is just rest or some peace, whether it's from the drama, whether it's from the busyness, whether it's just you need this overwhelming sense of God-given peace in your life. And we should want to live a life in his presence that glorifies him because we reflect him, whether we like it or not. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, we all with unveiled face, I mean, as we are, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. We reflect him to others, or at least We should. We should. In fact, it's in John, he says, 1 John 4, 12, he says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. We know this. And his love is perfected in us. So when you do good work in his good name, people see him in you. These ministries we do, these ministries we support, and they say, thank God that I was, I was able to, you know, get this place to live, or this bill was paid, or that you provided this meal, or you gave us an outlet of recreation on a Saturday night, you know, with a game night. Thank God for that. People, whether they say that or not out loud, recognize that when we act in love, when we do things for others, that is God working through us. That's why we should live this way, but how do we do it? How do we give glory to the king of glory? Because glory already belongs to God. In fact, it's Jesus' own words from him in this prayer that reveal God's glory existed long before us. John 17, 5, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. God's glorious. How do we glorify him? God reveals his glory to us, but but there are some examples in the Bible that that we can think of. And a lot of these are in the book of Exodus. The Israelites are wandering through the wilderness. You know, we saw him come in the consuming fire on top of the mountain, or his presence was a, a fire that did not consume the bush, or a cloud that covered the tent during a meeting. And the glory of the Lord, it said, fill the tabernacle within this thing. And the book of Psalms are, are, are poems and, and songs that inspire some of the beautiful hymns and worship songs we sing today. And it's David who wrote in Psalm 19. 1, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Look outside. We're lucky it's a beautiful day, but if, even if it wasn't a beautiful day by our standards, it's still a glorious creation. Maybe you recognize God's glory and the beauty of his creation. Paul wrote this in Romans 1.20. He says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky, right? Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. And then he says, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. There he is. We can observe his glory through his son. John 1, 14, we know this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, who was full of grace and truth. But how do we glorify God? To glorify, it's not to grant glory. We don't say you have glory because we gave it to you. We can't add to his glory. But all we need to do is recognize and acknowledge his glory. To glorify God is to recognize God for who he really is. And then we respond appropriately. And that's that's what we're called to do. We love him. We praise him. Deuteronomy 6, 5. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And again, it's David who writes in Psalms 95, 2. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyful to him with psalms. That's why we begin our worship services with a song of praise. God, we, you know, way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, right? Light in the darkness. Those are the words of the song we sang. We're praising God for his goodness. To glorify him, we obey his word. If you love me, he says, you'll keep my commandments. That is glorifying God. We glorify God by talking to him, by praying You know, it's James 5.16 tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, you might go, well, but how do I know if there's a righteous person that can pray for me? If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've repented of your sins, he's made you righteous. This is not an exclusive thing. Like, I need to find a righteous person because I've, I've got an illness. It's like, God... Jesus made you righteous. You can't be self-righteous. You can't claim someone else to be righteous. Jesus is righteous. And because of the gift of the cross, you are righteous. So now you have a powerful and effective prayer. And God wants the relationship more than the routine and obligatory acts. So, you know, Proverbs fifteen eight says, The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but prayer of the upright pleases him. Is it better to go and, and, and give all your money but not to say a word to him? He wants to hear from you too. He he loves the giving, the generosity, but he says, I'm not after your stuff. I'm after your heart. So don't give 75 minutes in worship and then go treat your waitress horribly. That's not what I'm asking you to do. The big idea of living a life in the presence of God is not just checking a box. It's a lifestyle. And Paul advises truly Christians that he was pastoring to. He said, be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And when you do this, when you live your life this way, it produces spiritual fruit, not only within yourself, but those around you. Jesus had a purpose, just like you do. Now, Jesus' purpose was to come and save the world, save the lost, right? Probably not your purpose, but God has something for you specific, in fact, it's Jesus' own words of prayer. He says, I glorified you on the earth. I have accomplished the work which you gave me to do. Now, don't you wanna be able to say that? Don't you wanna say, Lord, you gave me some work to do and I've accomplished it. And this was Jesus' prayer at the Last Supper. And he's referencing the quorum Deo. He achieved by finishing the work that God had created him to do. And again, it's the Apostle Paul who writes these words of encouragement. He says, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. We're lucky. This is a generous church who loves to give and serve. And and he's saying that's what you should do. So, you know, good for us. Let's not let up. In fact, Paul was writing a letter. This was when he was in prison in Romans. And he says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Guys, that is giving glory to God. When you are mutually encouraging each other. And that's what happens here on Sunday mornings. That's what happens when we stay in touch during the week and check in on each other and pray for each other. Now it gets hard. Living a life in God's presence means resisting temptation, repenting, and remaining pure. We're familiar with these words found in James 4 7. He says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But do you believe them? Do you remember the scoreboard we talked about last week? Jesus won. He defeated the world. Satan sent in his all-stars. And not only did Jesus overcome death itself, but he came over, came the temptations, the sins of all of us, all right? Resist the devil, it says. Denounce him in Jesus' name. It's okay to name drop, right? It's the power of that name that, lets, that makes him flee. So Satan will flee from you. And no, we know we are to repent. Listen to these promises found in Scripture. These are God's own words from 2 Chronicles 7.14. He says, If my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Humble themselves, right? It's hard to say, God, I messed up. It's hard to say that to anybody. But you know what? He already knows. If he's everywhere and knows everything, then whatever you did that you should be apologizing for, he knows it. So why do I have to say it out loud? Because that is a part of the therapy of prayer. That is a part of the therapy and healing of, of repentance. So you have to humble yourself and pray. Again, another promise from God, 1 John 1, 9. says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness that's where you get your righteousness. And as Jesus told many that he healed or forgave, he said, go and sin no more. Let's be honest, we act a little better here in the morning than we do at home or on the water, right? Some are nodding, some are lying. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna be doing a little hammering later. I may have a darn hammer. 1 <laughs> Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and as God's spirit dwells in you? Think about that. Think about that. Now, my joke would be I'm a megachurch, but I'm working on it. Thank you. Um, 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Catch that. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Why is that you can get the devil to flee from you, but you should flee from this? Because it is that powerful and is that damaging of a temptation. That's why God says, Jesus says, this is one to stay clear of. I'll give you that out. That's what he promises. Remember, you will not face any temptation that I won't get you away out of because this is a big one. He says to so be careful of this one. Flee it. Now to live glory to God also means to seek the good of others and live generously. It's Isaiah who says in 54, he says, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue. Right, He's been given wisdom to know the word that sustains the weary. He awakens me by morning, awakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. Okay, Isaiah was a prophet who was trying to save Israel from, from the path that they were on. It was away from God, who was pr- foreseeing their destruction. Proverbs 3, nine says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your pro- uh, produce. It does say that, of all your produce. Um, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits. Now, what is a first fruit? Right, you always pick the best one first, right? Or if you got the little thing at McDonald's fries, you always go after the best one first. And then you always have that little crummy one at the end because you waited till the end and realize that how you want to leave it. Um, I don't know why my body's a temple. I should stop eating french fries. Um, but, but he says, honor the Lord with your wealth. You honor him. We talked about that during our offering time. We honor him by saying, Lord, I know I need this, but Lord, it really belongs to you. Take it and do something good. And we've talked this morning specifically about how he's taken these, these, the wealth and the first fruits of our giving and used them for wonderful things. The fact that we had, you know, almost half the people that are here last week for Easter Sunday may have never been in this building before or, or do not regularly attend the first fruits of our labor which provides this building, right? When we give our our tithes and offerings on Sunday, when we we donate our time to make sure the the building looks beautiful, when we come in early to build a fire or to make coffee or whatever our personal ministry is and all this, or we're just the one that comes in and we're the warm smile. Don't discount the importance of what you're doing, okay? Everything matters. The Lord is being honored with whatever it is you're doing. Next, live honorably and humbly. We talked about humbly, but James four ten promises, if you humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, he will exalt you. And if you know the story of young Timothy, this is young, this is apostle Paul's protege. Paul advised him in 1 Timothy four twelve, And, and he's saying, he starts off this by saying, don't let them look down on you because you're young, okay? It's not about age, it's about wisdom. But he goes on and says, set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Whether you like it or not, we live in, in a, kind of like a fishbowl. Everybody sees what you do. I know them. I know they go to church. I know they believe in God, but I also saw that they kick their dog, you know, or whatever. I'm trying to think of something, you know, random, but they do. So be an example. Not only the people around you that, that, that share your Christian values, but those who, who may not. Be an example of that. And I'd like to add the word integrity because you're going to mess up. We all do. Just own it. We aren't holier than thou. We aren't more loved than anybody else. We certainly aren't perfect, right? Own it. That's, I messed up. I shouldn't have done it. That's where you humble yourself and apologize. And just a few more. To live a life to the glory to God, you gotta be faithful. And even in tough times, Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those that seek him. So what do I have to fear? What do I have to fear? Be faithful in the good and the bad. And that is why, for Christ's sakes, Paul writes, I delight in weakness, in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's the better kind of strength. It's the kind that that God holds you up with when you get beat up a little bit by the world and by life. And maybe you know this, maybe you've got it on a a plaque on your wall. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Rest in his presence. Finally, to live a life of glory is to face even death with confidence. Well, that's morbid. But Philippians, Paul writes, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. That is kind of a confusing thing, but so let me just word it this way. When you live, live as Christ Live right? Live all these things we're talking about in a way that glorifies God. And it says to die is gain. Does that mean that death is better? No, but being in God's presence that's great too. But while you're here, do this. So face death with confidence, knowing that because you believe, because the path has been, been laid to heaven, that Jesus has gone ahead of you and prepared a room in his father's house for you, you can have confidence. That doesn't mean you're in a hurry. Please don't. I love all of you dearly, right? And, and, and we can mourn the people that, that have gone, that have passed away, and we can miss them terribly. We know we do. Right? Even Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus. But we also know that this promise that gives us confidence says, okay, that this, this is horrible. I can't believe I'm, I'm missing them so much it hurts. But I am so thankful of where they are now. And as we age, you know, Paul says, therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet innerly we are being renewed day by day. It's the spirit lives forever, and it's the spirit that stays young when we feed it good spiritual milk. So I started by saying, you know, half of this is easy, living in his presence under authority because it's automatic. His presence is everywhere. He's all, you know, all-knowing, all-powerful. But so do you have a choice of whether or not we live in his presence or to the glory of God? I'm going to say yes and no. God is omnipresent, which means he is always with you. This is a promise. You don't have to say... Have a, you do not have a say in that matter, but you can decide where you take them, good or bad. Whatever you do today, whatever you say today, whatever you think today, God's with you, good or bad. The psalmist writes, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? And again, God gave these words says that to the Israelites. Says, he said to them, they, they respond, Moses responded to God. He says, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. That's how important He goes, I don't want to go anywhere that you're not. But God has decided and promised to be with you always. And Jesus made a similar promise as his own words. Matthew 28, a part of the Great Commission, he says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And his promise, he had sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Again, it is Jesus' own words found in John 14, 16 says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Now that's the choice part because we must accept the invitation to live in this presence. Right Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. Holy Spirit, come into my life and guide me. That's the part. God is everywhere, but he doesn't just want to be around you. He wants to be within you. Hebrews 10: 1922 says, "Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our heart sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That's what Al read earlier for a scripture to remember. We have confidence to enter the most holy place, whether it's the presence of God or heaven, because of the, the blood of Jesus. So let's draw near to him. Just because we can actually does mean we should. One last verse before I start to conclude. This is Joshua 24, 15. Again, you'll recognize this one, but let me set the context, right? They're on the way to the to uh the to cross the river to get where they're supposed to be in, in life. And then they've been in this place for a long time, surrounded by their enemies and, and um, you know, uh exposed to the other culture and, and that the other gods and religions there. And he says. If it's undesirable in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day which you'll serve. He's talking to all the people that were the, the leaders of, of the group he was traveling with, whether the gods our father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And he reminded them in the speech. He said, remember how he delivered you from Egypt. Remember how he took care of this and the men and all this stuff. And he said to that, is that who you want to worship or do you want to worship the, the people whose land we're camping out and while we're waiting for what's really promised? And he says this, this very powerful phrase says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's the expression spiritual leader, right? We'll talk a little bit about that as we start to get into some of the roles that we're supposed to have. But if you don't have a spiritual leader, become the spiritual leader. Sometimes you need to prop up your partner, encourage them to be that spiritual leader, but it's everyone's place to say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, Jesus knew a perfect way to relay this big idea of quorum deo, Matthew five fourteen through 16, right? This is the Sermon on the Mount. You'll remember, recognize these words. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Big idea is quorum deo is a general one, but he has created you with a specific purpose, one which he has absolutely equipped you to, to accomplish. Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? This is the invitation. Lord, tell me what it is you want me to do. You have given me skills and desires that I may not have been able to figure out or can't figure out on my own. Lord, what do you want me to do? What is my calling? How can I glorify you? If you're having trouble finding out what that is, ask him, remember? Pray, that's how we glorify him. Talk to someone, talk to me. That's why I'm here. And let's ask God together what it is that you're being called to do. Now this morning, I'm going to pray some of Paul's prayers as he encourages Christian brothers and sisters to live a life in the presence of God under the authority of God and to the honor and glory of God. So let's pray. Lord, we're using the words of the Apostle Paul because they stand so firmly in what we're asking this morning. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill each of us completely with joy and peace because we trust in you then we will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now the peace of God who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip us in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Lord, there's nowhere we can go to escape your presence, not that we would ever want to, but let us be keenly aware of all that we do and what we say and what we think, that we're not only being watched by others here on this world, but we're being watched by you. God, give us that gentle nudge and maybe a a firmer kick if we need it to keep our eyes on you, to live a life that is glorifying to you so that others may see your glory through us. Lord, where we're doing well in this area, we thank you. Never let us grow weary. God, where we need a a, a revival, touch our hearts and help us to become passionate and on fire for you because we love you and we know you love us. And we do all this in your name. We pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ, amen.